My Mac Podcast number 266. This week, Lauren Brichter. He's the developer behind Tweety. You're listening to the MyMac.com podcast with your host, Tim Robertson. And I am Tim Robertson, and this is the 266th episode of the weekly MyMac.com podcast. I'm joined by David Cohen. Hello, David. Good evening, all. And we'll have uh, Guy Searle on in our second segment, but uh, that's not how we're going to start the show this week, David. No, this week we're, we're joined by a guest. We're joined by uh, Lauren Brichter of uh, 8-Bit Software, and uh, 8-Bit's uh, responsible for the fabulous Tweety clients for the Mac and the iPhone. Hey, Lauren. Hey, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. Well, thanks for being How's- on. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, I was, I, yeah, I was just going to say, how's the uh, how's the iPhone software business doing for you? Yeah, I can't uh, imagine that's doing pretty well. Yeah, it's it's doing pretty well. I'm I'm I'm, ha- I'm happy. You know, there was uh, we had a show. I don't know, maybe a month ago or so, and it was when the whole the big Tweety 2 controversy. <laughs> yep. And uh, we kind of made our our opinions known. I don't know if you actually listened to that show, but I did let you know about it. And uh, yep. I, I'm just kind of curious, coming as the developer, well, let's back up. Tweety 2 is a, 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 a new version of the iPhone application. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this just because I'm, I'm a suck-up or you're here on the show, but it is my favorite Tweety client. I like it yep. better than using Tweety on safari on my mac i mean it's i love tweety yeah, me too and i think tweety 2 is a, a very good upgrade and it was well worth what was it 399 399 yeah yeah it well, was depending on where country you're in well yeah um it was well worth the price to me i mean I, it was a no-brainer but there seemed to be a lot of controversy of what well, he, he's actually charging for a new version of the software it was like people freaked out what was it yep. like on your end? I mean, did you get a lot of hate mail, or what was your stance? Uh, you have no idea. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad for the most part it seems to have blown over, and everyone who's tried it has given me pretty much the same feedback that, yeah, you know what, uh, it was it's worth it. And even the people who didn't like the idea of paying for an upgrade, uh, they a lot of people have even emailed me and saying, you know what, yeah, this is actually really amazing. Uh, thank you. Um, but, yeah, at the time, I mean, I, I saw it coming to a degree, and I even – had been talking to Apple for months about trying to get a paid upgrade mechanism to the App Store. And I mean, I, I was hoping they would have it finished by the time Tweety 2 was ready, but it just never it just never happened. Do you think that if that feature would have rolled out uh, from Apple by the time that Tweety 2 was launched, do you think that you know some of the, the more vocal people out there would have been a little quieter, or do you think it's simply that they don't want to pay for anything? Uh, I mean, it's it's a good question because I mean, if if the if the mechanism was there, I could have charged ninety nine cents for the upgrade, and I, I, I'm sure there still would have been some kind of outcry from a really vocal minority that even ninety nine cents was too much. Because I mean, people are used to free updates for life because that's I mean, the App Store has only been around for a year or so, but and that, that's just the way it works. Yeah, but that's not the way it works on the PC or the Mac side. I mean, I don't think no, anybody that has CS three thinks that Adobe's just going to give them CS four. Right, right. I mean, uh, I, I, the App Store's, it, there's a whole different mindset, I think, in people's minds about the way the App Store works. 
And, I mean, it, it's hard to argue with free updates for life. So, I mean, once people get used to it, it's going to be hard weaning them off of it. I think that's yeah, already but, happening, though. Yeah. Go ahead, and, David. But, but having said that, I don't, I, don't, I don't think there was ever any... You know, I mean, nobody came out and stated it was a policy that, that you would get free upgrades for life on iPhone applications. Right. And given, given the low entry point um, for the majority of them, I mean, if you're paying $20, $30 for an application, yeah, yeah, you might be somewhat annoyed if, if it within six months after buying it, it received a kind of, you know, a full version upgrade that was chargeable. But um, for for something that you, you know, the, the, the cost of entry is so low, I... I, I didn't. I mean, Tim and I were of an, of an agreement. We didn't see why people were so upset to having to having to pay again for such a large upgrade with so many new features. Um, that that again was 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 not a huge amount of money. Yeah, um, no. I mean, it's a great point. And I mean, the the, the way Tweety for Mac worked. I mean, it, it's twenty dollars, but the two point update for that I'm making totally free. So I mean, yeah, it, it absolutely is a is a matter of the the barrier to entry two ninety nine. I mean, two ninety nine times two is is not, not even close to twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. I guess um, I guess it is. Tim, I'm just going to drop out for a minute. The doorbell's just gone. Sure. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I hate when the doorbell does that. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you get involved in iPhone development to begin with? Um, well, after I graduated college, I, I was actually snatched up by Apple, and I worked with them on the original iPhone. Um, Before it was that, released. What's that? Before it was released. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I left Apple when it was released, uh, and I started my own company, 8-Bits. Um, and for a year after so, after I left, I didn't really do any iPhone development. I worked on an app called Scribbles, and then I sort of stumbled onto Twitter and just made Tweety in my spare time. Tweety on the iPhone? or yep. tw- Okay. Because I know there's a Tweety Matt client, too, but it seems to be most people know you from the iPhone um, is it significantly more people using your iPhone app or your Mac app? Uh, th- there's an order of magnitude more people using the iPhone app, at least that I can tell. I mean, I, I don't have perfectly accurate statistics for uh, the Mac, but uh, but yeah, it's it, the, the iPhone's a, a ton more popular. Do you think it's just because it's the hot product right now, or do you think it's because uh, it, the the cost of entry is just so much lower for someone to buy your app than compared to the Macintosh app? Yeah, I, th- I mean, it's, a, it's I think it's a combination of things. The iPhone's definitely hot, and I mean, it, Twitter itself is also very suitable for mobile devices. I mean, you know, 140 characters, you can type that quickly. You don't need a full-size keyboard all the time. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people just use Twitter on the go. You know, I remember when your app was first released, the, the original Tweety for the iPhone, there was already a, a handful, if not more, Twitter applications on the iPhone uh, did you worry about that at first? You thought, man, there's a lot of competition here, or did you think that your product was just going to kind of take off and become everyone's favorite Twitter application? Well, I mean, I, I definitely didn't anticipate that. Um, I, I, I never, I never wrote it really expecting anything. I mean, yeah, I tried out the few other Twitter applications, and I mean, you know, Twitterific was the king of the hill at the time. Um, and you know, I sort of, like, I, sp- I basically sat down one day and said, hey, maybe, I, maybe I could write something. Uh, that I, I would want to use myself, like something perfect for me. And I spent two weeks just in my spare time, and I wrote it, and I released it. And, I mean, it, it didn't really go anywhere for a while. I mean, it there was a slow ramp up before it actually started getting, you know, significantly popular. I remember talking about it here on this podcast um, before anybody else that I, I that I knew was really using it. I kept saying, this is a really good Twitter application. <laughs> you guys should start using this one. And then I started hearing that. 
elsewhere. And before I knew it, it seemed like every, I'm not saying that it was, it's because well, of no, me, thank but you, thank I am you. saying I that it. I think it was people like me that was kind of spreading the word. And then it just kind of hit a critical mass at one point, And then everybody was getting it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- th- there are definitely people who buy iPhone apps and, you know, these people are, you know, have discerning tastes. And I mean, you know, they, 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 they I guess they come from the Mac mentality where they really care about quality. Yeah, um, I think that's it exactly. Yeah, and I mean, you know, maybe you could divide the people, you know, App Store users into two categories: people coming from the Mac and people coming from, you know, the PC. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You know, the funny thing is that because there was a lot of other Twitter applications on the iPhone, they all tried to seem to to put their own spin on it. Some of them had the the white background with the black text, but just kind of cluttered. Others had a, a a white background that was kind of translucent with the white text yeah. and none of it really worked for me. None and of it was really iPhone-esque. No. I mean, none of it really embraced the iPhone philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then your app just kind of fit perfectly onto the iPhone. I mean, it, to me, it felt like a, I know it is a native app, but it felt like an app that Apple themselves would have released. That, yeah, that was my goal. And I think you succeeded greatly at that absolutely and and i think i think the fact you got the apple design award um you know kind of reflects that as well was it i mean was it difficult to get the uh the iphone api and the iphone development um tools to 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 craft the application to the way you want did you have to work very hard on that or did you find it it came fairly easily um well i mean i when, when I worked at Apple, I didn't I didn't really have even though I worked on the iPhone, I didn't really have any experience with the app, with application level stuff. I worked I worked lower down than that. Um, uh, well, someone just dropped off. Yeah, I dropped David off. His sound went robotic. Our, okay. our buddies at Skype, right, David? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. You're back. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, uh, when I, I don't know, I forgot where I was. Uh, anyway, when I worked at Apple, I, I worked on stuff lower than the app level stuff. Um, so yeah. when I started working on Tweety, I kind of, I, I pretty much had to start from scratch. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's similar enough to you know the Mac APIs and the good old fashioned App Kit, Cocoa stuff that it it, it really what didn't take that long to get up to speed. Um, yeah, and I mean I, I would argue that UI Kit on the iPhone is is far far superior than App Kit on the Mac. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that. But then again, they, they kind of started with a head start at that point, though. Yeah, yeah, they had 20 years' experience under yeah. their belt. And, but then again, nobody up until the iPhone really did cell phones. And I still think it's kind of a, a misnomer to call the iPhone a cell phone. But really, that's what it is. No one had done it great up until Apple released the iPhone. There was some clever designs, and there was some popular phones like the Razer, but until people actually saw the iPhone, I mean, it, it changed everything. Yeah, and I mean, when, when it was released, it, it was it was touted as having you know desktop class applications, and I think I, I don't think Apple would have settled for, for any less. Now, when did you start at Apple, as compared to when the iPhone project started? I mean, was it did, when you got to Apple? Was it already underway, or? Yeah, I started a, a year before uh, I came out. So it had already been going for a year and a half at that point, or so. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the history. <laughs> what did you think when you first got to Apple and saw the iPhone and what it was going to be? Were you surprised? or? Um, I, I, I guess you could say I was, I was excited. Did you, th- <laughs> Do you think it was going to be as big as it is now? Uh, yeah, honestly, I had no idea. I mean, it was, it was no, there was nothing like it, you know, before. And I mean, I, 
I mean, even still, that there's not there's nothing like it. No, there's a couple that's that they're trying. Um, the droid I actually got to play with today, or actually yeah. yesterday, and you know it's not bad, and it actually gets 3G coverage here where I live, and AT and T doesn't offer it, and they keep saying, oh, probably next month, and they've been saying that for over a year now. Yeah. Um, but it's it just doesn't feel as fit and polished as the iPhone. I mean, and I'm talking about the the feel of the phone as well as the UI and the key the the keyboard is horrible. I don't even know why they bother to put a physical keyboard in it. I mean, yeah, that's I, horrible. I I heard uh, I've heard a couple of people say it is kind of like an engineer or a geek's phone rather than a general consumer phone, and kind of you know that's that's how they feel it's been created. Uh, and because of that, it kind of has a, a slightly industrial and, and kind of a geeky feel. Yeah, I mean, I, whenever you compare AT and T to Verizon, Verizon's going to win. So, I mean, ignoring that, I'm looking at it from from a from a geek perspective, where it's like I care about the phone, I care about the quality, I care about the UI. I mean, yeah. it, it, it's I guess you could say it's close if you blow your eyes, but I mean, it's it's not close. It yeah. just doesn't have the fit and finish. It doesn't have the performance. It doesn't. It just doesn't feel like. You know, somebody cared when they, when they, yeah. I don't know. So, I mean, does does developing uh, or porting your application to Android interest you at all, um, or do you just not think it's worthwhile at this point? Um, I mean, first of all, the, the market the market isn't there. I mean, you know, if if there were many people using Android as iPhone, I, w- I might even remotely consider it. But even then, I'm not sure because you know, with, with the iPhone, you have you're, you're sort of fo- you can follow Apple's lead. You know, if they make something. Like this, and you know, this is the standard that they're setting. You can follow that. I mean, Google's not yeah. setting a standard for apps. I mean, you can put out total crap for the Android, and people might still use it just because. I don't know. Well, there's not just. A, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of choice there yet either. Right. And I think I, I just can't see. And this is kind of a, a funny day to talk to you because big in the news today was the iPhone developer for the Facebook app just gave up said you know it's too hard to work with apple blah 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 yeah and he's just not going to do it anymore i don't <laughs> i don't quite understand that coming from someone that works at facebook of all places <laughs> yeah there's yeah. some irony but uh i mean he, he's not wrong you you, you got to respect him uh you know for for having the boss follow through oh i, I mean, agree yeah yeah he, i mean he's i think he's i think he's done it because he's hoping to get a change in the way Apple approaches this rather than because he really, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's that's what he's after rather than necessarily right. turning his back on a, on a potentially golden cow. But, um, you know, I can understand his frustration. It must be incredibly difficult to put, you know, hundreds of hours, man hours of work into a product and then find some arbitrary decision it means you've got to go back and do it again. Yeah, I mean... It- it's possible to blow it out of proportion. And I mean, it's all, I mean, nothing's perfect. Uh, it's, I mean, and you, and you can see Apple improving. And I mean, the, sort of the way I see it, Apple doesn't like to talk about the things that they're going to do. Basically one day they're yeah. going to snap their fingers and it's, it's all going to be different. I mean, they're, they're not going to come out and say today, Oh, Hey, in six months we're, we're going to revamp the way app, uh, app re- reviews work. I mean, in six yeah. months, maybe they're just going to flip a switch and it'll all be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they, they have been respond. I mean, they have made changes. They have been listening to feedback, even though they've been doing it silently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's here's the thing that I I don't know if I want Apple to move to an open platform where anybody can write anything and it's automatically for sale or for download, or kind of keep a lid on it because 
you know, there's a lot of teenagers starting to get iPhones now yeah. or the iPod Touch, and I don't know if I want them to have just access to anything. I kind of, as a parent and as someone who really enjoys quality software, I kind of like the fact that there's someone there saying, no, we're not going to put this crap up on our device. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But yet, there, it doesn't seem to make any sense, some of the stuff that's rejected. I mean, you, you read some of the horror stories, and it's it's like David said. Someone put in 2,000 man hours in something, and it's rejected, and it seems very arbitrary. Yeah. And there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. I mean, I don't know where developers go if... <laughs> Personally, if I put 2,000 hours into an iPhone app and then it's just rejected and it's like um, Chris Breen over at, was it Chris Breen or, no, I think it was uh, Snell. It was Jay, Jason, yeah, Jason Snell. Snell. And he was pretty mad. Yeah, that their <laughs> app was rejected. And yeah. every single thing he said to the, the person that had reviewed it, he said it was like talking to a brick wall. The guy just wasn't reasonable at all. So, to me, that's that's really where they need to make changes. Obviously, if they're going to use you know a team of guys who are doing doing the work on a piecework basis and following scripts and uh, following design rules in order to approve or reject, and then issuing notes to developers, that's fine. Um, you know, that's probably the only way they could do it. But when it comes to appealing or or conversing about a rejection or a, or a requested change, to me, that needs to go to a to a next level up. Somebody who's got a bit of power and a bit of kind of leeway and a, yeah. and a bit of kind of management discretion to to kind of overturn decisions where they've been made i mean the, the Macworld example was a good one where it, it was it was obviously it was a bad decision uh, and it and it's been rectified fairly quickly but to to have to go back to the guy who's made that decision who's let's face it his job's probably on the line so uh, <laughs> I, I would imagine his standard response is going to be well no 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 and um we'll get back to you that that's not that's not a great experience for the developer right i mean i have had my fair fair share of rejections and um y- you know when apple realizes they're wrong they usually turn stuff around quickly and i mean i think that was just a an, an innocent screw up and i don't know what happened to the yeah. guy who rejected initially but uh but of course but jason's yeah. the person that has a very large microphone to say something most developers yeah. don't have that platform yeah, that's true. And that's what and worries I mean, me, how many we're not hearing about. Well, I mean, that, that's why I think the press about all the rejected apps is still important, because, I mean, it gives smaller developers an outlet to a degree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's why sites like MyMac and Macworld and, you know, Tuwa or however you want to... How do you say that? How did he say that last week? Uh, Tuwa? Tui. Tu, no, it's not Tui. The unofficial no, no, Apple weblog. I think he said it was Twa. Twa. <laughs> Like, ha! <laughs> yeah. You know, that's why these websites are out there, is to kind of bring attention to this, and I'm hoping that Apple's paying attention. Yeah, I, I mean, I have no doubt they are. I mean, one proposal I've made to Apple, and I, I, I've, I've heard it parted around recently, is this idea of, rather than vetting, um, like, every point release, just vet an app, like, approve an app, or approve a developer. And once that developer or that app is approved, you know, updates can flow freely. Yeah. You know, for example, I should. I mean, I have Tweety two point one ready. It has you know support for lists, support for the new retweet, support for the new geolocation. And I mean, I'm expecting to have to wait two or three weeks before it's actually on the store, even though it's ready today, and Twitter's ready yeah. today. So I mean, it would be great if you know I could put my name on the line. And you know, let's say I do ship something malicious, Apple could just shut down my entire developer account. So I mean, it's in my best interest to ship quality software. So it's almost like developers can regulate themselves. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I don't, 
you got to you got to trust your developers out there that they're going to do the right thing. I mean, they everybody wants to make money or get attention, and hopefully they don't want to get the attention in the negative way. Right. And so they're all going to kind of keep in line. And I can understand a new developer going through the vetting process, but for you, for instance, I mean, when you have an update to Tweety, that should be less than a twenty four hour turnaround. You should, if even that, as soon as you submit it, a couple hours later, boom, it's live. Right. Especially if yeah. there's a, a major problem with your app and you're just getting tons of negative feedback in the iTunes store because yeah, there's I a mean, bug. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what happened during the, uh, the original Twit, Twitpocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the the, the Twitpocalypse. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you should be able to address that quickly. And But yeah. is, is there no mechanism built in right now for you to do so? Well, a- after the Twitpocalypse, uh, Apple did add a special email that you could email uh, if you ha- if you need like a criti- critical, super critical update to go out fast. Uh, I haven't tried it yet because I, I mean I, I haven't needed a- to ship a super critical update. I don't, I- yeah. don't want to waste it. Um, but yeah, it's it's there now. Well, one of the things that I did want to mention, I-, I love Tweety too, but there's one thing that I don't like about it, and I know this is built as a feature, but I, I would prefer to be able to turn this on or off. And that's when, when I say uh, this morning, I, I check my Twitter account via Tweety. And then five hours later, I come back and I check it again. It's right where it was when I checked it last time. Mm-hmm. I'd prefer if there was some kind of an on or off switch for that. So when I launch it the next time, I'm at the newest tweet right at the very top. instead of Because okay. right now I'm going scroll, 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 scroll to get back up to the top. Well, there there is a... Do you know the shortcut? No. To scroll to the top of any list? Well, usually it's tap at the top of the screen. Yep, tap. You should be able to tap the time in the status bar. Ooh, let me check that right now. Go ahead, David. I'm gonna. I'm gonna test you. Okay. Right now. <laughs> uh, and I, and I, I believe that. Um, I'm pretty sure I, I remember reading on your blog that when Tweety Two for the Mac comes out, you'll be able to sync between the two of them. Yeah, Is that I'm, right. I'm, I'm hoping to sync uh, the last scrolled position. Yeah. So so that would also address Tim's problem if he's running Tweety 2 on the Mac and he's reading his tweets there, then it will be syncing back to his iPhone so it will be in the same place, which to me I think is, is going to be the, the, the killer, real, the, one of the real killer features for me because I, I tend to be doing that. Right. If I'm sat in front of a computer, I'm going to be using, uh, using Tweety on, on the computer, but, but then you know when I'm on the move again, it's back to the iPhone. Yeah. Um, it worked, that, by the way, darn be it. Awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm glad it worked. I mean, there you go. That's requests. Uh, for people who who always want it to go to the top of the list all the time, no matter what. Like I, that, very, that's very my top. preference, to be honest. I'd rather just it, if yeah. I know for a fact that I want to jump right to the top of the list, I usually launch uh, Tweety 1, if you will, the original, because I've got both of them on my phone. Mm-hmm. But only Tweety 2 is in my actual dock. How about the, it, it's it's replaced my mail app in my dock because I don't use <laughs> mail on my iPhone. So mine is phone, Safari, Tweety, and iPod. <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. Um, but but yeah, there will be a preference for you know for you and for people who want to jump to the top all the time if they want. Call yeah. it the Tim preference. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, now that that was the only thing that I I just I didn't like about Tweety too, and I I knew about the tapping at the top of the screen, but in Safari, I never realized I'm tapping the the clock and on my screen I would just tap at the top of the screen and it would scroll up. But with gotcha. Tweety two, I was trying to tap at the top, but not far enough at, up. So gotcha. Go figure. Two inches up, and I would have been fine. <laughs> so, yeah. so what are your big plans? I mean, obviously, you don't want to give away, you know, what the new features are going to be and stuff like that. But are you looking at beyond Tweety on the iPhone? Are you looking at maybe game development or other kind of? I don't know. 
Uh, game development, no. Uh, I, I am working on, well, I have been working on a, another uh, semi-secret app. No, it's pretty secret. A secret app. Uh, smaller than Tweety, but should be pretty useful. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Can't talk about it just yet, though. No, but when, you, when you're when you ready to uh, to release it, or certainly after it's released, let us know. We'll get you back on this podcast. We can uh, talk about it. Because, awesome. You know, yeah. there, there's some developers out there that I, I just know I'm going to buy their software, and yours is one of them, obviously. Definitely. Yeah, I appreciate it. So how long do you ex- expect the uh, Tweety to kind of remain an iPhone only, or are you kind of looking at these other platforms, waiting for any of them to mature, and then maybe moving... Uh, one of your apps over to that application or that platform as well. If if the Google phone is going to be the next big thing, are you interested in it at all and porting it over to that or the Palm Pre or? Um, I, I sort of nixed the Palm Pre because I think the whole web development is is just clumsy. HTML, JavaScript, CSS, you know, it works in a web browser just barely, um, but on a phone it's just too slow. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they release the native SDK, I, I might consider it. Uh, as for the droid, uh, I, I mean, it, it hasn't. I mean, it's crossed my mind. It just doesn't seem that appealing just yet. I mean, mm. who knows? Yeah. Who knows in a year what what things are going to look like? That's true. What, what What about the desktop client for a Windows machine? Is that something that appeals to you at all? That is definitely not in the plans. I mean, I, no. I, I, I like writing software that I would use myself. And yeah, I mean, as soon as I start using a PC, I'll, I'll definitely bring Tweety over. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll so hold our cold, breath, right? <laughs> cold, cold day in a hot place, then. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's a lot of PC users, but you know, most of the software they find over there, especially in the on the shareware category, is just crap. And uh, yeah, I, you, you don't have the same kind of community that no. you do on the Mac. I mean, the no. Mac is just awesome. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just for 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 me. You know, I use a Windows machine at work, and there's so many Twitter clients written in Adobe Air on on the Windows platform, and, and they're just not they're just not great at all. Yeah. <laughs> so we want to thank you for coming on the uh, podcast this week and talking to us about Tweety. Congratulations on your Apple Design Award and all thank the you. success that Tweety is is giving you because I I think it's justified. And uh, thank you very much for the great software because. Most people aren't going to be able to tell you thank you, and hey, I'm going to tell you thank you because absolutely, I use your application all the time, and it didn't cost a lot, and I'd be happy to spend money on the 3.0 version too because it's someone that makes quality software like this, you should be able to make a living at it. You should be able to feed your family, and uh, hopefully you're able to do that, and I think you are because Tweety seems pretty popular. <laughs> I, re- I really appreciate it, yeah. Thank- yeah. Thanks for having me on. And uh, we'll be right back, and Guy Searle will be with us. And we're back, and we got Guy Searle with us. Hello, Guy Searle. Hello. How you managed to drag me in again? By the scruff of your neck. That's right. Kicking and screaming. And I've got a heck of a scruff. So, speaking of scruff. <laughs> oh, well, no. There, there's a segue. I, I did, before we get to our uh, our sponsors and stuff like that, I did want to talk about a problem that Rich Lefko, one of the MyMac.com writers, has had. And we've been emailing back and forth, and I thought it was worth talking about on the show. And this is mostly to do with Apple TV owners. One of the things that Rich had said he wanted to do and that I had done previously was rip all his DVDs onto his computer as MP4 files and then 
put them in iTunes, and then, of course, watch them on his Apple TV. So I get an email, because he's pretty much done them all at this point, and he has his Apple TV. But he wanted to know why he was getting black bars on the side of his videos. Now, a lot of people are thinking, well, do you mean the above and beyond, or above and below the picture? No, on the side. What happens is, when you rip a video that's a full-screen version, you're going to get those bars on the side. I don't buy full-screen DVDs. I never did. I always bought the widescreen for just ah. that reason. So, so the, the videos he's ripped have already been panned and scanned. So they've already had, they've already been cut down to a four-three ratio. Exactly. That's the full-screen so, version. Yeah. So when he when he's ripping those and encoding those, of course, the Apple TV it defaults. Well, I mean, it only displays in a widescreen format, so it has to put something on the edges. Exactly. Now. Depending on your television, you can actually set your television to stretch that screen and to almost yeah. fill it, but it looks horrible when you do it. Yeah. Please don't do that to yourself. Everyone <laughs> looks like Marlon Brando. Yeah, everyone gets kind of fat and lumpy looking, and it just doesn't look right. The aspect ratio is off. It, it doesn't look good at all. Now, here's a, here's a question. Not that I would promote software piracy, but in that <laughs> situation, I would be inclined to say, well, I have a license for the movie. I would feel justified in going to a torrent site and downloading a, a widescreen copy of that movie um, to, to use on my Apple TV. I could see that justification, honestly. Um, yeah. I yeah, don't know. Would the, would the copyright holders see that? No, justification? they Pro- wouldn't. Probably not, no. but then they don't see anything that, that's not in their business interest if you buy another copy. That's true. And, yeah. I, you know, I've always bought widescreen movies. Um, my well, for wife, as long as they've been available. Which has been pretty much since the beginning, because I, I remember getting um, widescreen of The Matrix when it came out in, in 2000. So my wife always hated them. She's like, ugh, it puts the black, the black bars at the top and the bottom of the screen. Yeah, and I kept you saying even then, yeah. that, but you're seeing what the director shot. Exactly. If you, do, if you, if you get the, the non-widescreen version, effectively, it, they've cut the edges of the screen off. And I've seen some really, really poorly done pan and scan where rather than panning and scanning which means it it kind of focuses on one person and then it kind of a little bit goes over to the other person talking yeah i've seen it where they've literally cut off people's heads half their faces and what you're really looking at is the background and you just barely see someone's mouth moving and they're not doing pan and scan and i've seen that way too often it's like oh my god this is if you're going to complain to me about piracy and stuff, but this is the kind of quality you're going to sell me on a DVD. Hmm. <laughs> so anyways, that that's, that's a shout out to, to rich and why you're getting the, the square on your big screen television. It's because you have a full screen, which is kind of a misnomer. It's a full screen on a non HD TV, but on an or HD or non wide. Well, right. Four by three ratio. Exactly. Aspect ratio. The old type yeah. of televisions. And, so and yeah, why. just just to make it clear to any listeners, I mean, there's not very much you can do in the software to fix that. You can you could try and you know do a custom if you're using Visual Hub or whatever conversion software you're using, you could try and do uh, a custom stretch in the conversion process. But you're really it, not going to be satisfied no, with that. When you start, it's a case with, of garbage in, garbage yeah, out. That's exactly what I was about to say. When you start with garbage, you're going to get garbage out. There's really not a whole lot you can do about it. Uh, let's talk uh, for a few seconds here about oh, someone's trying to contact me on Skype and um, I'll say, yeah, they can see me. 
Uh, let's talk a few minutes about our sponsors because they pay the, the bills around here to keep the lights on. Uh, first one I want to mention, of course, is our longtime sponsor, MaxSales.com. Oh, we love the Max Sales. They've been sponsoring this podcast um, coming up on two years. In 2010, it'll be two years. Yeah. And they have just a, a great, great number of products that you're probably going to want to take a look at. Go up to MaxSales.com. Um, I might have some more information on Max Sales coming up soon, but we'll save that for another time. If you need a hard drive, they're the place to go. Check them out at MaxSales.com. Our second sponsor, this is a new one, and Ooh. it is Stuff It Deluxe 2010. Now, David, you haven't been using a Mac all that long, but no. as a longtime Mac user that I know Guy is and I am, Stuff It has been around since I've been using Macintosh computers. It was originally developed in 1997 by a high yeah. school student in New York City named Richard Lau. Uh, Did you I'm say 97? Yeah. I thought it was 87. I'm sorry, 87. You're correct. It is 1997. And, and as a Windows user, I occasionally will come across these .sit files and think, what the hell are these? And, yet, you know, I mean, back in the, the bad old days, you could not get a Windows version of Stuff It, so you were, you were literally stuffed if you got sent a file yep. uh, encoded in that way. I, I, I suppose, I mean, most people do tend to use zip and, and uh, that sort of thing nowadays, which is built into OS X. Um, I, I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the format to know whether stuff it is generally gives you a higher compression ratio or more accurate compression ratio than the zip file does. I, I would imagine it does. Well, one of the neat things is they now have the stuff at connect. So if you have a big video file, say two gigabytes in size or up to two gigabytes in size, you can actually use your stuff at deluxe 2010 application with stuff at connect and it will actually upload that file to the stuff at servers, send an email to the person that needs to download it. They get the email, they click a link, and they're downloading the file. Most yeah. email programs or uh, most email providers won't let you email a two gigabyte file. And, and even and even if it's small, you know, has been reduced in size. It's yeah. You can't reduce video too much, though. No. No. But obviously, what what's what stuff it connect is doing is it it is compressing that on the fly. <laughs> And it's encrypting it as well if that's what you want. So, um, in that respect, it's a it is a superior solution to something like Dropbox, which uh, does a similar sort of thing, but obviously doesn't have any built-in encry uh, encryption or compression. So, if you're interested in stuff at Deluxe, uh, follow the link at mymac.com. Usually, it's seventy nine ninety nine. Right now, forty nine ninety nine. So, it's a really good deal. It's a piece of it's software that's been on the Mac forever. And it's you like uh, over thirty percent off. Absolutely, and you got to support companies that's been developing on the Mac platform for this long. So yeah. let's get and, on. And they've got a thirty-day trial as well. So it's, if you want to give it a try and find out, about at least at least try it to see if you like it. Yeah. And if you like it, it's only fifty dollars. So stuff at Deluxe twenty ten. We have a banner on the right hand side of the mymac.com homepage. Please follow that, and or just Google. I mean, they're not going to. Whether you buy it going through the MyMac.com website or not doesn't really make a difference to me. But if you can't remember to do that, just Google Stuff at Deluxe and uh, you'll find it. So I also want to talk a little bit about uh, installing Snow Leopard on machines, guys, and Windows as well. I had an email from someone asking about, or I read this online, I forget now. Um, they have Leopard. They would like to install Snow Leopard on the same machine, but they don't want to get rid of leopard 
can you have two versions of the Mac OS on one machine? But here's the kicker. Only one hard drive. Ooh. What do you think, David? Uh, you would have to you'd have to do some partitioning first. Yep. So you need to use a third-party tool for that. Actually, to... uh, you can do that in Disk Utilities. Can you? What? Yes. Oh, yeah. It would actually resize a, a working partition on the fly? Absolutely. You um, can do that. To put, put a little caveat in there. I would highly, highly recommend doing a total backup oh, before well, doing something. You, sh- you should always you should always do that anyway. Anytime you're doing anything large on the drive, but um, obviously if you only have one drive, that's going to be challenging to back it up. Yes, it would be. But, um, hmm, yeah. It, so backing up is kind of more important than installing a separate separate version of an OS on your computer. Yeah. Um, I would probably put my time and money right now into buying an external hard drive from. Hey, where could you get that external hard drive from, Tim? <laughs> I would I would suggest going up to MacSales.com. Otherworld Computing, they do sell hard drives. Now, you can okay. use a an external hard drive to install, install Snow Leopard as well. But as long as you got a good backup copy of your current drive and you have the free space, I mean, if your hard drive is full, you can't do anything with it. Yeah. yeah. But and, if you've got if, you know, 20 you gigs to- free, you can do this. Yeah, and if you want to do it on a laptop, you really want it both on the internal drive. You don't want it on the external. No, it'd be too so, slow. And it'd yeah. be such a pain to carry around an extra exactly. drive. And, exactly. Yeah, okay, so you, so you need to shrink down and create a new partition. Yep. Uh, and then you can just boot off the DVD and just install it to that, that partition. Install on that partition. Um, when you do partition it, you can actually rename that partition. I would just rename it Snow Leopard. Yeah. And that way, when you get into the Snow Leopard install... You know exactly where to put it. Now, to boot up in either of the OSs, and this works as, as a Windows install as well, you simply hold down the command. Is it command or is it option? I, I think it's the option. option. I think it's the option key. Hold that down yeah. as you reboot your Mac, and you'll have this nice little display that will say Macintosh. In this case, it'll say two Macintoshes, and it will tell you what version of the Macintosh it is. Um, because you named one Snow Leopard. So you just click Snow Leopard, and it will reboot under Snow Leopard. If you have, if you're running Boot Camp, it will say Windows, and you can boot up under Windows. So you can have, well, let's see, in this situation, if you've got a Leopard machine, realistically, you could install, if your hard drive's big enough, you can install as separate OSs, uh, Windows XP, Windows Vista, Seven. Windows 7, uh, a Linux, and Snow Leopard. <laughs> and Leopard. I, I don't think I would recommend doing that. <laughs> but, but you probably could if you really wanted. If you were a hardcore computer user and i got to have all of these OSs on my computer, you yeah. could do it. But, of course, if you're that hard, that hardcore, you have you probably have a Mac Pro and a couple internal hard drives. Yeah. So, yeah, it's something well, to think about. If, and also, if you only have one drive, one other thing that uh, at least you know one internal drive that you're dealing with. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about backing up. The other thing you could do is is do a time machine backup of your current uh, Leopard partition, and then you go ahead and you install Snow Leopard on your other partition, and then bring in all of your information from Time Machine into your Snow Leopard partition, and that way you've got all of your apps on both sides. 
Yep. Or you could, you wouldn't even need to use Time Machine for that. If you boot up to new Snow Leopard, you can point Migration Assistant at your old 10.5 Leopard partition and just Bring pull it everything over, that, over way. that way as well. Yeah, no, that's true. That's that's the easiest way of doing it. Um, I can understand why somebody would want to do that because Snow Leopard, while very good, it does break a few things. And if you have a mission mission critical machine that you know for a fact Leopard is working, but you're not sure if Snow Leopard's going to be up All to par. Yeah, this would probably be a good way to go, at least to test stuff out. And if it works fine. And you think, okay, I don't need two partitions at this point. You can actually delete that partition, free up that hard drive space again, and then update your your leopard to snow leopard. And some 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 bits of software might have. Um, I'm thinking particularly of games here. Um, might have kind of game saves or progress saves that are hard to move over to a new machine. You can reinstall the game, but actually getting the game saves out of it can be difficult. So um, if you've got a game that, you know, you've particularly wedded to the progress to and you really want to get it finished, it might be worth retaining it in an old partition until you've got it finished rather than trying to uh, move it over to the new Snowlet partition. Good point. Uh, Mike Breed, one of our new writers at MyMac.com and a very long-time listener of this podcast, he was uh, doing his own podcast for a while as well, um, sent me a note and he said, did you notice Verizon is doubling its early termination fees for Folks using smartphones such as a Droid, it's now three hundred and fifty bucks. Three hundred and fifty bucks to break your contract with them. Um, why do you think that is, guy? They're they're just protecting their investment. You know, the, the Droid phone. I'm not sure how much uh, how much you know the the high end Droid is out of the box. I'm guessing it's either one ninety nine or two ninety nine. And you know, I mean, let's face it; they're not making money off of the phone. They, you know, they're making money off of their services. No, they're losing money on the phone because they're subsidizing it themselves. Um, in this case, whoever makes a phone, which in, for the Droid, yeah. I do believe is it, that Motorola. It's Motorola. Yeah, okay. it's Motorola. So Motorola sells the phone. We'll just say four hundred bucks. Oh, and I don't then, think I don't think it's that much. I think well, it's I'm just I'm, I don't I don't care what it is. They sell the phone for four hundred bucks, and that's how much. In this case, we'll say Verizon is paying for it. They turn around and sell the phone to you for two hundred bucks, so they're down two hundred bucks immediately. So to try to recoup some of that and to try to keep people from jumping ship, I think that's why they're charging three hundred fifty bucks. Actually, I think I it's think, more to do with that they're just extremely greedy and. Well, no, well, uh, no I, I think there is a there is a business reason for this. What they're trying to do is they're trying to stop people signing up for the phone and immediately reselling it on eBay. Yeah, and I guess three at three hundred fifty dollars, it's it's not going to be worthwhile doing. Yeah, you think that's you know, what it is? I I think that's part of it. I don't think that's the only reason. I think it, you know, like all these things, it's shades of grey. It's not black or white. I suspect that's a that's a big part of it. I suspect there there is probably an element of, uh, of punitive taxing there as well. Um, I'm sure Verizon is very keen with having you know the what is currently a fairly hot smartphone. They're very keen to make sure that people get established into service with them rather than uh, start chopping and changing or having buyer's remorse fairly quickly. Um, and particularly as there's always like, there's always the newer phones coming along. Well, so yeah. I suspect that's part of it as well. It's probably more complicated than, than just pure greed. But um, it's, it's just something that, like all of these things, I don't have a problem if this is the policy. 
as long as it's clear to everybody what the policy is before they sign up for it and they know what they're getting themselves into. And unfortunately, often in the cell phone industry, that is not the case. The slick-suited slick salesman in the store does not give you all the upfront gen before you sign the dotted line. And we do apologize to our listeners for the little bit of static we're getting on uh, David's end, but you know he is in the UK and, and he's using a 56K dial-up modem. And <laughs> that, that's, all we, that's all we have over here. Yeah, I, I know. Uh, so we're going to wrap up the show a little bit early this week and uh, invite you to come back next week and listen to the podcast. We're going to have another listener invite. Um, if all goes well, you never know what's going to happen. And if he does show up, he's uh, from Slovakia. What is it? It's uh, Slovakia. Slovakia, that's what it was. And uh, that's pretty cool. That That's on the other side of the planet for me. Not yeah, quite, but it's over there. It's, uh, I, think, I think that's part of... Uh, uh, the former Yugoslavia could no. be. I don't think it is. But. No, it's, no, it's part of uh, part of what used to be known as Czechoslovakia. That's right. Oh, okay. it's, now, it's now the Czech Republic and Slovakia. Okay. So uh, we have that coming up next week. We do have, and we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it hadn't been released the last time we did a MyMac.com podcast. We have a new MyMac podcast family member, and it's called My Phototech Podcast. Uh, the host is Sandro. He actually records the show and does all the hard work, and I just produce the show, which means I, I host the file and I help promote it, and that's what we're doing right now. We're kind of promoting this other podcast. He has two episodes released as of today, and I have to say, guys, I'm really, really impressed. Now, he's doing this podcast all by himself, unlike me, who, who needs people like you guys to help me because I'm just not capable of doing it by myself. He is sitting there in front of his microphone for a half hour at a time, recording this podcast and it's all about photography but that's kind of a, a broad subject because that can include stuff like photoshop um he just did a show about online scanning services that's show number two and that was something that i was kind of interested in taking your old slides and having them converted to digital pictures how much that cost what's involved he goes through all of that in show number two and uh, I think he's doing a great job. I think you guys will really enjoy listening to that podcast. To find it, just go up to MyMac.com. On the right-hand side, we've got all of our podcasts listed. And My Photo Tech is right there. You can't miss it either. It's it's a, a big camera logo. you you, you got to see it. It's there. Yeah, Donnie made that. Donnie Yankelo made the logo for us. And uh, he, I think he did a great job. It's It's very bold, and you can't miss it. Also, make sure you check out Sam's Cool Picks every uh, every other every two three days. We have a brand new episode of that. It's a very short podcast, so if you guys are just kind of getting inundated with all these different podcasts out there, here's one that you can listen to that's only going to take two to three minutes per episode, and it comes out two or three times a week. And it's just uh, a very short podcast focusing usually on just one item. Why Sam thinks it's cool, how much it costs, where you could find it. Talks a little bit about it. In, out, boom, bam, done. And I, I like listening to it. Unfortunately, it's costing me money because Sam keeps picking stuff that I think sounds really cool, and then I have to go buy it. <sighs> I just don't have that much money, guys. Come on. Sam, you got to start picking some free stuff, dude. These little three, four, five ninety nine apps start adding up after a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think with that, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash mymac. I sure is. Mac Parrot. And David Cohen. David B. Cohen. 
we'd appreciate it if you guys go up to the iTunes Music Store and review our podcast. It only takes a second. Let us know what you think and uh, make sure it's only positive stuff. We don't want to. We don't want to read anything negative. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be honest. And uh, we'd appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. And thank you for downloading and listening to the MyMac.com podcast. <laughs>